Welcome back to Curbside Consults. I'm Clem, one of the editorial fellows this year at the NEJM. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Amaka Inainia, a nephrologist and the Director of Health Equity, Anti-Racism, and Community Engagement at Penn Medicine. Amaka, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Clem. I'm very excited to be here today. I'm very excited too. I know you have a lot of interest and experience talking about race and their inclusion in GFR equations. Today, we're specifically addressing the guideline that was put out recently by some of the major nephrology societies talking about this exact issue. Can you just give us some background about why race was ever included in GFR equations in the first place? Sure. So to actually physically measure someone's kidney function is very difficult. You have to obtain a number of blood and sometimes urine collections. And so eGFR equations or estimated glomerular filtration rate equations are multivariable equations that were developed to kind of estimate directly measured uh, kidney function or directly measured glomerular filtration rate. And so in the first eGFR study that was done in 1999, led by Dr. Andrew Levy, it was called the MDRD study or Modified Diet and Renal Disease Study. They actually featured 1,600 or so participants that had measured GFR using one of our gold standards um, called iothalamate. And in that study, when they looked at the variables that they would select in the eGFR equation that together best predicted uh, GFR, they found that when they included a race variable for Black individuals, that made the equation more accurate. And so what they did was introduce a multiplication factor to account for that difference in serum creatinine levels. So for the MDRD study, six variables were selected that best together uh, predicted GFR, age, sex, race, serum creatinine, albumin, and BUN. And so the race multiplication factor for Black individuals was 1.18 in that study. And that essentially means that for a Black individual, their eGFR would be 18% higher than a non-Black individual. So that's how this all started with that study that was published in 1999, the MDRD study. Got it. And I remember just learning in medical school, and I think up until very recently, it probably was still taught in many medical schools that Black Americans have higher muscle mass. Where did this sort of presumption come from? And are there other alternative explanations that you can provide for this higher level of creatinine that we see in Black Americans? So those notions are really false. They don't have any type of factual basis. I think it was used as a way to explain why serum creatinine, which is heavily based on muscle mass, would be higher in Black participants compared to white participants in that study. And so the references that were used to support that false assertion were really very weak and small studies that, for one, did not directly measure uh, muscle mass on any individual. And so I think when we're thinking about some of the things that can cause elevated creatinine levels. We think of things like medications, right? We think of things that interfere with tubular secretion of creatinine. We classically think of a medication like Bactrim that falsely elevates serum creatinine independent of kidney function. There's also some things like certain diets. So having a diet that's high in cooked meat can elevate creatinine levels. And a variety of other things we think about are people doing occupations, for instance, where there's more required um, physical labor and are they more muscular? None of these things were actually accounted for 
in the original studies. And so the presumption that Black individuals have more muscle mass is just not true. Thank you for clarifying that. And why are such equations seen as promoting race-based medicine? And stepping back just a little bit, can you define race-based medicine for us? Yeah, so race-based medicine is really using race, which is a socio-political construct, to guide someone's clinical pathway. So basically judging someone's phenotypic characteristics and saying, because you are this race, you receive this type of care or this type of procedure. And so it really introduces racial bias into the clinical encounter. The overall issue with race-based medicine is that it perpetuates these racist long-standing notions that people of different races are different uh, biologically. And it really ignores the social and genetic heterogeneity among the individuals within racial groups. I mean, we know that the Human Genome Project that came out in 2003 really shows that genetically we are more similar in between racial groups as opposed to within. And so that is really the biggest issue with race-based medicine. And so instead of generalizing somebody's clinical pathway based solely on their race, we need to be thinking about what are some of these other experiences that one individual may experience, such as food insecurity, such as access to healthcare, what type of racial discrimination or gender discrimination or what have you is affecting their care and really integrating all of that into the clinical decision-making rather than just race alone. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Can you just address now some of the arguments that people have for including race in these GFR equations and specifically how that might change some clinical management, such as receipt of medications or contrast? Yeah, that's a great question. And so the argument for leaving race in is based on a lot of people thinking that that is what the science shows and therefore that is what we should do because you're taking away this multiplication factor, whether it's 18% or 21% from a subsequent MDRD abstract that was published, or if it's 16% from the CKD epi study, then systematically Black individuals will have a lower EGFR, which could change what dose of medications that they receive, or can they actually be on certain medications, or thinking about whether you'll have a new diagnosis of kidney disease based on, again, a lower EGFR. And I think that the way that we can think about it is that thinking that or knowing that EGFR is truly an estimate. That's why there is an E in front of GFR, right? It's not a hard and fast cell. And we'll talk about kind of the precision about EGFR equations a bit later, but there are other ways that you can kind of assess or ascertain someone's kidney function. There's 24-hour creatinine clearance. You should be actually looking at trends over time in EGFR values to see what is the kind of range what is the trajectory of someone's kidney disease or cystatin C? There's other tools that we can use to assess someone's kidney function. And so really kind of having a resistance to remove race coefficients or the race multiplication factor from GFR is to me um, a bit flawed because we do have other metrics to measure kidney function. And we should be incorporating that into our shared decision-making because there are limitations with EGFR equations in themselves. Now let's move ahead to the guideline. And so this guideline we're specifically addressing today is the National Kidney Foundation's guideline on reassessing the inclusion of race in diagnosing kidney disease. For this guideline in particular, how were patients involved and what were some of the priorities that came up? I was proud. I just want to just number one, say that 
I'm extremely proud to be a nephrologist and very proud that both the American Society of Nephrology and National Kidney Foundation, the leadership at those organizations chose to do this. I know we're the first field to actually have this type of convening of a task force to do a deep dive into how we got to this place. I just want to say that I was proud to serve on that task force and I'm proud of the outcome of that task force. So the task force was convened of experts across the country and who brought different expertise. We had people who had expertise in health equity, in clinical lab assays. We had someone who was working for the CDC to think about estimates of CKD burden at the population health level. And then we had two patients, but it was an absolute joy to work with two patients who had had kidney disease at some point in their lives and could really speak to the effect of the race coefficient or the multiplication factor and how that affected their care. And so as we had our deliberations and our discussions, we would have questions from both of the patients to say like, well, what what does this actually mean? Can you actually simplify this for me? Because that doesn't make sense. Or the way that I'm looking at it is, is X, Y, and Z. And it was really, really, really nice. It it moved us in the direction that we needed to move in. And it kind of kept the patient at the center of what's most important. Forget about the ego, forget about who thinks they know what's best when it comes to clinicians or scientists and keeping the patient at the center. It's wonderful. Really love that. It sort of surprised me that looking through this guideline that there were so many equations. I had no idea. I thought there was four or five different equations, but it looks like there are at least 26 different equations that were evaluated. Can you speak a little bit about these equations and what was the general gist of them and how many of them included race? Sure. So in total, there were, if you count the CKD and the MDRD equations, we looked at 26 approaches and we categorized those approaches by biomarkers. So was it a creatinine-based biomarker or was it a combination of creatinine plus another biomarker or a panel of biomarkers? Or was it a cystatin C-based equation? And so overall, again, 26 approaches, 13 of those approaches included race in the actual equation versus just three that had race in the reporting of EGFR. And I like the way that you guys examine the equations using the principles of bias, precision, and accuracy. Can you define these for the listeners? So this is really interesting. So bias is defined as the median difference between measured GFR and EGFR. And then we define precision as the interquartile range of the difference of measure GFR minus EGFR. And accuracy was defined as a percentage of estimates that are greater than 30% of measure GFR. Those are inadequate for clinical decision-making. You really want to have the ones that are closest to the measure GFR. And so we use all of this to assess the best approach. As you can see, one of the equations floated to the top, and that was the new CKD EPI 2021 creatinine-based equation that refit without race. And I was proud to be an author of that New England Journal paper that was published uh, in September that looked at that equation and that developed that equation. What were some of the highlights about the equation itself that you can tell us about since this might be a new equation for listeners? I think most importantly, uh, race was not in the development, right? When I talked about the initial EGFR studies and thinking about the variables that together best predicted GFR, you can just subtract race. And so when we looked at the development data, we only looked at age, sex, and serum creatinine. So that was win number one. Race is no longer one of the variables that was included in the development. And then when you actually looked at the bias and the performance of these equations, they were actually quite good. I guess the bias is maybe 
in both directions now. And that is the difference between the new equation and the old equation. But importantly, again, the P30 for these equations was quite robust and clinically acceptable for clinical decision-making. And what does the guideline specifically recommend in terms of implementation of this new equation? So we recommended immediate implementation across the country. That was one of our three recommendations. Um, And we say that because, again, we've gotten to a place where using race-based medicine or using a race-based EGFR is unacceptable. And so we're hoping that all of the attention that was raised surrounding race and EGFR will kind of push people to not only upgrade from MDRD to CKD epi, but to upgrade to this new equation where we don't have to have any clinical bias. They're statistically accurate. And so that was the first recommendation. The second recommendation is that we also did look at the performance of the combined EGFR equations using cystatin C and creatinine and found that the P30s or the performance for those equations were even better than creatinine equations, all of them being uh, greater than 90%, so even more ideal. And there was less bias when we looked at the combined creatinine and cystatin C equations. And so the second recommendation is that we need to really focus on rapid access or improving access to cystatin C, knowing that a minority of institutions right now run that lab in-house and many of them have to send it out and there can be some delays in really obtaining the results of that. And so we really push for cystatin C to be more widely available and for institutions at some point to be able to use the combination of creatinine and cystatin C since we know that it performs better than creatinine-based EGFR equations alone. And then the third recommendation is that we really need to continue to push for the development or the um, identification of biomarkers that do not use race and maybe even perform even better than creatinine and cystatin C. And so those were the three main recommendations from the task force. Thank you so much for that. Just anecdotally, I had heard from my friends at different institutions at different hospitals were removing the race modifier from their EGFR equations. But I really appreciate that you guys sort of took a stand and came out and said this should sort of be done across the nation. That's really honorable. Just stepping back a tiny bit, we talked about how creatinine might come from muscle or muscle mass. What is cystatin C exactly and what part of the body does it come from? How does it differ from creatinine? So I talked about an exogenous uh, filtration marker with iothalamate. That's our gold standard for measuring GFR. We also have endogenous filtration markers. So cystatin and C and creatinine are both endogenous filtration markers. And cystatin C differs from creatinine is that it's not a metabolite, but it's rather a low molecular weight protein. And we also know that creatinine is filtered and largely excreted in the urine, whereas cystatin C is filtered, reabsorbed, and metabolized with only a small amount that's excreted in the urine. Cystatin C is present on all nucleated cells as opposed to creatinine really being a byproduct of muscle breakdown. And the things that we know that can affect cystatin C now are fat mass, inflammation, thyroid disorders. There's significantly less that is known about how um, certain medications impact cystatin C, although we know that um, quite robustly for creatinine. But those are really the main differences between cystatin C and creatinine. Great. Thank you. And you had mentioned earlier that the two patients that were part of the task force and that provided a lot of insight about their disease course. Would it be possible to provide a specific case or example to help solidify for us how these equations change their disease course? Can I give you two examples? Because two is better than one, right? Yes. I had the pleasure of being on 
the doctor's TV show, which is a nationally syndicated show. And on the show, um, two patients were featured who both discussed their care to Black patients with kidney disease. First of all, I would, I would encourage everyone to tune in to that episode. But one described how using race and EGFR really delayed her getting a kidney transplant when her transplant failed because she was seen as not being sick enough because of that multiplication factor. So again, we know that there's national policies that suggest that, for instance, you can gain waitlist time once your EGFR is equal to or less than 20. So if you use a multiplication factor for a Black individual, they could be the same age, same sex, and have the same serum creatinine level. But again, the Black individual will have the higher EGFR, so therefore they have to wait longer before they can actually be officially listed for a kidney transplant. And so that was how one described how that can affect her care. The second way is um, a patient who I spoke to who was very well informed about the use of race and EGFR, very educated. She was a Black woman, or she self-identified as Black, but she actually had one Black parent and one white parent, and she had advanced kidney disease. And so when it came time for her to have her transplant evaluation, being as informed as she was, she said to her clinician, although I'm Black and I self-identify as Black, can I use my white side to get listed earlier for my kidney transplant? And they let her do it because we don't have an accommodation for individuals of mixed race. And I think that was another real issue with using um, race and EGFR equations that we, there was absolutely no accommodation for. What, what do you do with an individual who's one quarter Black and how do you treat them? What do you advise them to do? And so she took advantage of this and she was able to do that. So I, those are the two stories that I like to share in terms of how this can really impact someone's clinical course. Well, yeah, I think that says a lot that if someone's able to switch to a different race, then they get listed differently. I think that definitely should not be possible with our system, but it highlights that inequity. Amaka, do you have any other additional comments for our listeners regarding this topic today? I have several comments. I think one is that I really credit a lot of the motivation and the drive to change this type of care to medical students. This really started with medical students who were learning about race and EGFR at Harvard Medical School and pushed to have race removed from EGFR reporting at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. And it really took off from there, actually. And it was really their scientific advocacy and their kind of challenging the status quo of things that they felt were causing inequities that really pushed the field to do better. And I would encourage all trainees and medical students, if you feel that science is really causing some type of harm, this is to me the essence of being a clinician or being a physician scientist is to constantly improve our standards of research and our standards of clinical care. And so I think race and EGFR is a great example of how that was done. And hopefully we can move forward and look at inequities in care and push ourselves to do better with science. And I would encourage everyone to continue to do that. So I was very, very proud to be one of the central figures in this process. And I'd look forward to doing more in the future. Great. That story is so inspiring. Thank you so much for having me. It was great discussing this topic with you, Clem. It was lovely having you. I think that wraps up this episode of Curbside Consults. I'd like to thank Amaka and Nainya for joining us today to discuss the latest EGFR guidelines by the National Kidney Foundation. Our production team at NEJM Resident 360 includes Karen Buckley, Lynn Winston-Perry, Kyle Simmons, Mike Thomases, Tim Vining, Scott Williams, and Kathy Stern. Also, a special thanks to our NEJM Education Editor, Dr. Opie Hamnick. Curbside Consults is brought to you by NEJM Resident 360, a product of NEJM Group.